0: Good morning. How's everybody? Good to see all of you, most of you, and uh, really glad to uh, be with you this morning. You just got that? Okay. Uh, the Bible turn me the first Peter uh, chapter three. We've been in a, in a series in the book of Peter. I'll give you a second to turn there. First Peter uh, chapter three of, of asking the question, what does it look like to be exiles in our city? In other words, what does it look like to live in a time and a place that maybe uh, your faith isn't the, uh, you know, you're not in the popular crowd. You're, you're not really welcome to the table. And, and there was a time, and, and and we just mentioned the persecuted church, even in the world today, where people that profess Christ aren't able to, you know, have a seat at the table, aren't able to worship the God that they love and serve. And so they're, they're thrown in prison or they're harmed or, or what have you. And, and in the first century, it was very common, um, the century in which we read, the where uh, Christians weren't allowed to to have uh, resources. They they had to live outside the city. They were persecuted. They were harmed. They, they lost their jobs just for being Christians. Um, and, and so the, the, this period is so. Different I think in Kansas City or in the West in 2019, um, but but you know there are varying uh, gods and varying beliefs and varying varying philosophies of life. So what does it look like to live out that faith in a place that is that is hostile or a place that is not uh, welcoming? And First Peter is a fantastic guide to do that, um, and I think it has so much relevance to the day in which it was written and also to our day uh, today. And um, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to First Peter. Chapter 3, we're just going to read the first three, uh, first, excuse me, seven verses there. First Peter chapter 3, 1 to 7. We'll get to our, our this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see a respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And this is the word of God. morning. pray and ask for for God's help. Lord, we we come to you. And just a few minutes ago, we sang something so countercultural, so uh, profound in our day and age. Oh God, how we need you. Not how we need ourselves not how we need someone else to come and save us. God, we, we realize our own weakness, we realize our own sin, we realize our own east. Um, to say that that all grace and love and power is found in you And each and every moment each of us, each and every moment of our life. that are difficult to understand. There's things that we don't understand. And we ask for that you would search us us, that you would push on us, that you would challenge us, you would convict us, you would comfort us, you would encourage us. We're, wherever we are, we look at your word and we don't fully understand God, but that you would meet us and know that you're a good father, a gracious, loving father that has good for us and that you've revealed yourself to us, that you want to speak to us and show us the path of life and life. So help us now. I pray in my weakness you'll be strong. In Jesus' name. So exiles and marriage. So I want to say just a a caveat as we kind of move through uh, the letter. We have a few more weeks in in, in Peter. Is As we look at marriage this morning, I think the temptation for maybe some of us will be to check out. And here's why I don't want you to check out because there's different people uh, in in our church this morning and and maybe visitors as well. Is that the reality for us is that, that some of you aren't married, but you will be married one day. So check out. Um, some of you are married right now, so definitely don't check out, there's something for you, Uh, some of you were married, and may never be married again, and and then there's probably for all of us, wherever you are this morning, is that you are going to find yourself ministering to someone who is married, that's the word for you this morning, because the word of for teaching and correcting, and every good deed, and training in righteousness. And so, so, the, so the reality is, when we sit under uh, pe- teaching and preaching, it's so easy to think, well, I'm not a parent yet, so why would I listen to teaching on parenting? But the reality is, you're going to find yourself having all kinds of conversations, and the Word of God is going to be there for us to say, well, how would I minister to this person who's struggling like something in a marriage? We all have friends and family and coworkers and neighbors that are married, right? So there's going to be times where you go, I, they go, I don't know what to do. You, you maybe you. Have have something you can offer me, what would I be able to offer uh, them? And so this morning, we're going to look at marriage for a moment and what that means and what that looks like in light of First Peter. Now, if you have been following along for the last few weeks, it's very important for us to remember kind of the flow of the letter of First Peter. It's been this particular uh, uh, trajectory in the last few weeks as we've been looking at this, lie before those that don't believe what we believe, believe, that they would be drawn to Christ. In other words, uh, by as we follow Christ, and we are rooted in this, world, we are rooted chapter one, and as we are rooted in this, we are we are a chosen race, a uh, holy people, new identity, in uh, Christ, that we are rooted in these things, live such lives among others, which you believe that they would be drawn to this Christ that we love and serve and having all of that identity. Now it says, well, how do you live? This we where I'm going the last two weeks, how do we live all the different relationships and authorities that God has placed, placed in our, our lives? And so looked at, you know, uh, being subject to human institutions or, or, or human authorities. It could be the government or, or or anyone that has some kind of authority in our lives. What does that look like to be submissive in those things? The things that God has aimed and placed in our lives. Relationship of the in that in, in this context, again, it would be this kind of employee-employer relationship. How do we submit to people that maybe are truly self or do believe what we believe in the working contest? How do we deal with suffering when people don't believe what we believe and want to, like our friends and brothers and sisters in India or China or wherever uh, that, are, that are being, being persecuted? But, but this morning is: well, how do we submit in? Primary relationship of husband and wife. So even if we've got maybe a spouse, and that's where we're going to go this morning, and that's why we're going to look at the context here for just for a moment is what if we have a spouse that doesn't believe what we believe, or actually married to someone that's not a Christian? What do we do? And that's where we pick it up in First Peter chapter 3. Did you catch that? Says, this is kind of interesting context. Otherwise, why is subject to your own husbands? so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So in this context, in the first century context, there would be all kinds of people uh, that had a, a non-Christian background, coming to faith, and, and, and let's say a, a woman who, who's married to a man comes to faith in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Christ. Now, what do I do if my husband doesn't believe what I believe? What am I supposed to do? And that's why Peter's addressing that, if some do not obey that. So there's also an assumption that some will be believers as well. So maybe the husband and the wife are believers, and that's a little bit of a conversation. But he's saying, well, how do I live if Peter does the same God I worship? Live such that you may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. That sounds very similar to what we read in chapter 2 about we live as exiles. We live as sojourners in the world. In, in chapter two, verse eleven, it says, among the Gentiles, honorable, so that when they speak against evil doers, they may see your deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation." In other words, even if your own husband persecutes you, even if your own husband says, "Following this Jesus is silly and, and dumb. Why are you doing that? Why are you shaming me in the family?" says, "Live such honorable and, and good lives among them, but they may be even drawn to Christ." Now. I'll say this: this this text means a lot to me. When it, before I was married, about a year before I was married, I was at, at this church. Um, so it made it, it meant I, I made a lot of money, um, and I was treated very uh, well. Now the opposite of those things is more like, hey, young guy, give me coffee, and maybe we'll let you hang out with the youth. You know, don't mess up too much. Um, but but I remember I worked with this woman and she was a middle-aged woman um, and she was telling me her story and I, I met her husband as well they're part of the church and she was kind of telling the story and for for 20 years of their marriage her husband wasn't a believer and I, I looked at them and I looked at her I looked at him and, and I said are you kidding me like I mean he loved the Lord and she loved the Lord and he says yeah I, it was first Peter 3 how, how do I do this what will live so him, sh- show respect to him, point him to Christ in all your words and actions. You don't be you know, in his face all the time and say, Get your acting together, but live this, this way that maybe one day, maybe, he'll be drawn to Christ. And he was. She was a very humble, godly I, I, I love uh, working with her. They um, all, if you listening to this, are um, very awesome. Person. So, uh, she was also in a movie, which I won't do. That was pretty cool. But anyway, I won't talk about that later. But I, I've seen this happen. Maybe you've seen this, too, is what do I do when, when my husband doesn't believe what I, I believe? Well, we'll live in such a way, even if he doesn't believe you could, he, he could be drawn in to the grace of God. Now, I want to just say a couple of things about the context of the first century, because I think this is really like how understanding the time and place in which First Peter is being written, because I think for some of us, in our day and age, a lot of us, it's like, that's not a big deal. Like, okay, yeah, okay, I know a lot of people like that. You know, one's a believer, one's a not. Okay, what's what's the big deal? But you have to understand, in this context, it was a huge deal. So, so in the in the first century context, women would often take the beliefs of the husband in the home. So non-Christian people, if you worshipped all kinds of Gentile, pagan, you would basically on the beliefs so of pretty normal, when you're someone who was married to another, another because what they believed was that if you didn't worship the same gods that the husband believed in, you're going to have chaos in the home. Like your home would not be very orderly, right? And you, for maybe obvious reasons, right? But the difference was if you were a, a someone who didn't worship God, didn't worship Yahweh, as you believed in all these different gods. And so you had a God of fertility, you had a God of prosperity, you had a God for the land, you had all kinds of different gods. And so what would happen was they believed that if you brought in this other God, namely Jesus going to kind of screw up the whole works, right? Because we don't know where he fits. And, and so, if you're a couple, and you're worshiping all these gods, and you're you you're praying that you, know, you get money on the table, food on the table, you know, that you your cross, consensus this, this is God. What do we do with him? It's going to kind of screw up the whole order. So that was very significant for how well, I live, my husband doesn't live with that, but I, I, don't, I don't worship the God that he worships. Any longer, what, what am I supposed to do? And so often the other Christians can be blamed for different calamities in the, the city or the, the region in which they were in. And because of the worship of this Jesus, right? Like, it's your fault things are, you know, it's your fault there's a plague. It's your fault that the, the weather's bad. It's your fault that that, you know, fill in the blank. So there have been a lot of tensions in the household in this first century context. Another thing would, would be if, if a if a wife was worshiping Jesus and not the the gods of whatever god he was into, is that it would feel like rebellion against the husband. So the so husband would feel this kind of embarrassed out in, the, in the community because he he'd be like, "Hey, you know that my wife was supposed to worship the same gods I am and have this nice order. Became... You're not a very good husband, are you? Jesus, you." That's Do. like what is going on here? get her in line. She so you can imagine him go out to the committee, his social standing is destroyed. And then I think another important is to understand that imagine a Christian, and now she goes off to the Christian church, a pastor or a slow gathering somewhere, and just now she has Christian friends. Well, the reality is this guy can not have any Christian friends. In the conflict. Now, to give you a little little taste of um, uh, what that would have looked like in the first century, just to calculate kind of, of here, we're not just talking about like, well, what's a big deal? My husband doesn't believe. It's it's not a big deal. The, there's a lot of persecution going on, a, a lot of pain that would have gone on on having a, a wife and a husband that didn't believe. H- here's a quote from Mark uh, uh, 81. i reading rotation. Plutarch. A wife ought on her own, but she wants husband's friends to come with him. Kind of what I said, they're the same friends. Of the, same guy. the gods are the first and most important friends. Therefore, it is a way to worship and know only the gods a husband believes in, and to shut up the bright sight upon all particular rituals and outlandish traditions. These are religions like Judaism and Christianity of Issus and Serapis, for which no god do secret rites be formed by a woman find any favor. Since some men cannot well endure the sight of scarlet and purple clothes while others are annoyed by cymbals and drums, what terrible hardship it is for women to refrain from such religious things and not disquiet or irritate their husbands, but live with them in constant gentleness. So in other words, Honey, you're not allowed to have any friends that are Christians. You're not allowed to have any uh, friends. Your your ultimate friend needs to be the gods in which I worship. So the light of this passage going back, are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to be treated for what you believe? For even when the husband doesn't believe what you believe is that look are you still going to trust yourself? By my, my virtue, godly virtue, that they will actually be one and drawn to Christ. That in some ways I would even create a home that's that is orderly, even if we are on different faith pages, if you will, so that God has a chance to work right in the midst of it, just like my friend David also. So, a little context. Now, how is lives and the world we'll talking about in just a minute? How are wives supposed to live out their exilic uh, venues that word exile, but exiled as wives in the world? Now, here's what's interesting about our text. It doesn't get into, like, extreme particulars and specific, and I think that's really important to remember. So likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. So there's something about our, their conduct, right? They're, they're not the conduct before the husband may be drawn to Christ and say, This God is who He says he is. Adoring the eternal hair and the putting on of gold drew in the clothing you wear, but let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart, where the shall be a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's sight, is very precious. For well, this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So, there's seven, six, what is it saying? wives be subject to your own husbands. That's a command that, that, that you would lovingly, gladly submit to your husband because you know that God has designed, have, have designed men and women uh, to uh, the same for God made the image of God and a building. and councils aren't different between men and women, but but there's a, a, a particular order in which God has called men to lead in their homes, even if he's not a believer, as in our context. That it would be good and right because God ultimately is your authority, that God is ultimately the one who, who says, Hey, hey, wife, this is how you are to live, that he's the one we we ultimately bow down to. But notice the, the context. Again, not a lot of details here, but it's saying be subject to your own husband. You're not subject to anyone else's husband. You're not subject to any other men in, in general. Just it's not. He's saying, no, no, I want you to be very clear that this is a choosing, that you have to submit yourselves before this, this man. Again, not someone else's husband or not ever, other men in general, but, but your husband, the one who's in your home. That's where the authority lies in the household. So this all means the husband and wife have to figure out kind of what does this look like. It's going to look like different for everybody. I think there's too much, and this is, <laughs> I have a little joke with any pastor wants to be like the marriage pastor or start conferences and talk about marriage, go for it, man, good luck. Um, because basically you just set up and said, hey, this is how marriage should look, and here's what you need to do, and here's all the tips, and here's all the tricks. But but the reality is that for every personality temperance. Abilities, the submission piece is going to look very, very different from house to house and couple to couple. And we have to trust that God, in His good grace and by Spirit, is going to show us what that looks like for a husband to give his life, to serve his life, as, as Peter would, or Paul would say, to give his life up like Christ gave his life for the church, to serve her and love her, and to wash her, whatever that looks like. I don't know that looks like exactly. That's crazy. Well, wash her in the Word. That's what that looks like, right? I mean, I've heard that. No, it'll look different for for hairs, and it's gonna look different for dollars, it's gonna look different for the and actors, it's gonna look different for the business, it's gonna look different in my house. So, this is kind of worked out. But I think at the core of it is to say, am I willing to. To Christ and willing to suffer even if my husband doesn't believe but I believe I'm crazy pretty many times when it's difficult we're not saying this is a blind session it goes. if it doesn't accord with the scripture and it's abusive it's against the law of course not, we're not We're not talking about that at all but that God has designed things in a certain way to function in good harmony as we submit ourselves to God and I think what it comes down to often is how we see God do we believe God's a good father, that he's a good God, that he's a gracious, loving, merciful God, that, that everything he tells us in his words for our good and his glory, right? I mean, that's, that's where it comes down to, right? It's so easy just to read things and go like, no, I'm not doing that. That doesn't work in 2019. Really? It doesn't? So the eternal, holy God from all, eternity who has all the wisdom in the universe who created the heavens and the earth somehow is out of touch in 2019 or have we lost our minds? Do you know yourself? Right, I can't even remember phone numbers anymore. Right, because of cell phones. Right, I don't know anybody's number. Like if, if I lose my phone, I'm like, sorry, I'm never talking to you again. <laughs> right, if like the computer gets a virus, I'm like, sorry, I don't know your email. We're done. Right, we stop we stop communicating. Right, like my kid asked me the other day, um, how do you subtract fractions? I don't know. <laughs> like I tapped out of math. We're done. Son. I'm sorry. Your dad is helpless. But it's like when we know, are we, we know who we really are, we get know about the universe that the God of all wisdom and all power and all knowledge knows way than I do. And he loves me way more than I could ever love him or love anyone else. And he knows how the universe functions, and he knows how it's designed and how it's to work. How dare us raise a fist and go like, you uh, don't know what talking about. We're more enlightened now. Really? How's that working for us? And it's easy to read texts like this and say, well, they are first century people. They're just, you know, they believe in weird gods. And okay, so we don't believe any weird things now? Are you kidding me? Have you been on the internet? There's all kinds of craziness on there, right? So there's this beautiful authorities that God has given us in our homes and in our workplaces trust this God so so what's cool about the gospel it's kind of, like of submission it's, you know, the options for us in submission is really just blind submission no questions asked so just kind of this passivity just like whatever goes just okay I'm not gonna ask anything or it's like flat-out rebellion so there's nothing in the middle right but I think it it's kind of in the middle it's we understand that ultimately Jesus is Lord of all people and all things and all cultures and all homes. So I can I don't have to blindly submit if that submission is evil and simple and gross. But I also don't have to rebel either. But I trust God. That he has good for me. And he's designed things to work in a certain way. That's what's so radical about the gospel. Because I think i are going to get a nuance, amen? Right? That's where the internet's got problems in Facebook, right? It's like, no, it's either this or it's this. There's nothing in the middle. It's always this or this, right? But it's, what's beautiful about the gospel, it always kind of does this weird thing on a kind of work side. It's, like, it's, it's not just passivity. It's in the middle that there's times we have to say, no, 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 that's right. And there's times we have to gladly submit and say, oh, yes, it's beautiful and right. And I think God gives us His Spirit and His grace to do that. And, and also, what, what's another thing from our text that I think is really important is that the gospel kind of also illustrates what true beauty looks like for a woman and for a wife. Did you catch it? verse 3? Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be in person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which God's sight is very. Uh, precious. precious. The first century, if someone was, was kind of dolled out and had a lot of jewelry and, and makeup and all kinds of different things. I don't know, even know, if they had makeup it uh, might have been a little different in the first century, but but you know it was very obvious they're they're kind of prim and proper. Actually, some people would kind of look at them and go, like, are they kind of a seductress of some some kind? Like, is there something going on here? And that was even in non-Christian cultures. But but I love what, what Proverbs 31 says, that that um if you go to Proverbs 31, verse 30. Beautiful text for women and wives to to uh, walk in. Charm is beautiful, and beauty is bang, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now I know this text has been butchered and more ways than Sunday. That so pastor this with it means like women can't, you know, take showers and wear makeup and wear nice clothes and have jewelry. Is this what this is talking about? This is why I don't like Christianity and I'm out of here. That's not what it's saying. He told us what it's saying. He's saying there's a limit to the external, but what matters is this internal beauty, this internal virtuous beauty of a godly character, of a gentleness, and a spirit that, 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 that is orderly, and, and a peace, and a joy, that, that and a tranquility, and even keeledness that comes from, from God. Like, Don't reverse the two. Don't think it's the same thing, because it's not. Right? That's where we've been lied to in, in social media and internet and, and all these things. It's like like everyone, oh, everyone looks great, right? We have all nice clothes and we're doing this thing, we're going on these trips and all these things. But what about character? Does character not matter anymore? Apparently it doesn't. Because we, we look at all the things we've accomplished, we look at how we look and where we live and the cars we, we drive and yet, yet yet an inner, gentle, humble spirit doesn't really matter anymore. That's exactly what Peter is saying. He says, that's actually where true beauty is found. And that's the beauty that God cares more about. Man looks at the external. God looks at the heart. And says, I care more about who you're becoming as a woman than what you wear. Are you kidding me? You're going to run after that? And I'm not indicting any woman in here, by the way. Because I, I, I don't think it's just a, you know, this is a woman problem and only women care about. like, please, take showers. Right? <laughs> Look nice, it's fine. Like, we're not saying that, but, but where it becomes, you know, there's this limit, right? There, there's this thing of like, it's all about that. It's all how I look. It's all how I, I smell. And, and all the, the, the places in, in which the external kind of comes out the jewelry that I wear, right? And my, my fancy oils that supposedly cures cancer. Whatever it is, right? But he says, no, no, that's not what a beautiful wife is. It's someone who's gentle. Um, in, in spirit. Now, what does that, that actually mean? I, I love this word, because the word, this this imperishable beauty, again, that God doesn't take away, but it's 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 ours forever, because obviously things can go away. It's kind of a well-ordered spirit. It's a calm spirit. It's a humble spirit. It's a tranquil spirit. You could say, even keel, it's knowing peace and love and joy of God. This is not a Spirit. It doesn't mean that you never open your mouth, or you have an opinion, or you you can't have fun. or have a... But it's saying when when life is difficult, when suffering comes, when things are hard, that there's a there's a there's just this kind of inner tranquility that comes, a peace that comes. When we're we're called to submit to our husband, there isn't this this sense of like raising the fist, but there's a okay. W- I can do that, right? There's there's someone that, that kind of goes with the, the flow a little bit. That's what he's talking about here. He's not saying you know women, just be quiet. But there's an, an even you know who they are. You you've met them, right? Doesn't mean have, some of that's personality, but I think some of that's the spirit of God. It's just like when life when life kind of falls out, it's just like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna walk in this, I'm gonna trust God in this, right? It doesn't mean I don't have my moments of crying and weeping and sorrow. But there's a, there's a gentleness So ladies, I want to ask a question that all of you have to for yourself, But, but does my inner spirit of gentleness and the fear of God shape my life or am I using some shiny replacement? Because I want you to be more than anything. Women of godly character. More than how you look or what's popular or what's cool because that's something that will never be taken away from you and that's something that God says is precious right it's not how I look if I'm in the end goal. And, I, and I know we all struggle with that right? I struggle with that in different ways as well but also remember that Jesus was gentle and spirit. we're also being conformed into his and that's who he's making us into and that's man right my favorite text in scripture, just when I feel my eyes just falling out and I, I just come back to this text and come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. It's easy my burden is, is like Jesus. I'm gentle, I'm, I'm lowly. I'm not going to add more laws and commandment to destroy you. I'm going to Giving you hope in future. And if we're made in the image of God, and we're also being conformed to the image of, God, we're of the Son, then we'll even do it. We should be more of a gentle, humble spirit with our wives, with our neighbors, with What a good marriage looks like. And we gotta have you know a certain kind of house, certain kind of car, certain kind of jobs, certain trips that we go on, and all kinds of things. That is going away. The job said everything that you own. a gentle, humble, quiet spirit. And that's what your beauty looks like. Because think of Jesus. Jesus has true beauty about him. Right? Meek and gentle and mild and even loved his enemies, blessed his enemies. Guess what? He didn't own anything. You ever think about that? He didn't have a place to even lay his head. Yet The most joyful, content person. In that so we flip the script and say, we need everything and yet maybe we'll be happy and maybe we'll be joyful. Yeah, get to my phone updates, and you know, and I and got to stand in line. And want, right? and, and it's like, hey, are we for like three? It's like this is people. No one is People, I don't like these people. Um, and it's like the house is great, the roof leaks, and that's you know, I got to forget it. It's all those things that we think are going to do what we our hearts. want. And yet ultimately we know that our ultimate final joy is found in Christ and Christ alone. Because that can never be taken from you. That's why Paul's constantly talking about contentment, right? If you have a lot or you have a little. You, can't, you, can't, you, can't just, you know, I can't have anything. i got to go sell my house to my car. I'm not saying that. But we have to ask those hard questions. Where is our true joy and contentment found on a constant basis? The iPhone will let you down, believe me. At some point, amen. Can't get amen on anything else, but I get it on the iPhone. It's that's, that's fine, whatever. Let's see where we're at. So Peter gives us a grander vision for the Christian wife, and what and it, greater than external beauty, it's an inner beauty that that no one can take away. And and what's interesting about this text, and I'm going to get to the husband right now, is notice how he says, just like Sarah. It gives us a little straight, kind of a weird text. It's really difficult to understand what it's actually saying, but as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good, do anything that's right now. Um, wives, you need to stop calling your husband Lord now. It's right in the Bible. Sorry. It's just how it is. No, I won't do that. But what he's saying is you identify with Sarah because you're part of the same spiritual family that Sarah and Abraham and there were things that God called Abraham and his family into in the end where Abraham, you know, told Sarah lie, and he had to do that. But what I'm saying is, trust God that He's in control of the whole thing when we don't know the future, because He's a good Heavenly Father who cares for you. And sometimes marriage can be difficult, and sometimes it's really hard to submit to your husband. And I will say this: husbands don't make it difficult for your wife to submit to you. You hear me? Don't make it difficult. If you have to pull out the submit card, you're not doing it right. You hear me? Like, if you have to get out verses, you're not doing it right. And, oh, okay, Ephesians 5. Should we talk about that? Want me to unpack that for you? I know the Greek. You ready? Never do that. So how do we? Now I know this is a little disport, and it's not because you know we give for the wives. It's Just only one verse. That's just how it is. All right. So, But Peter's not done with with the husbands. Likewise, verse 7, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Catch it? Likewise. Don't miss this. Just like verse 1, Likewise, wives be subject to your husband. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives. So he's he's saying, uh, Look here. You're not off the hook here. Likewise, same way that your wife is submitting to Christ ultimately, and even submitting to even if they're not believers or they are believers, they're, they're loving you in a in quiet, a, uh, accepting your believership in husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Okay, what, what does that, that mean? Now, we could go to Ephesians five. And we can we can look at what what it means for husbands to lay their lives down as Christ laid His life down and become uh, servants uh, of of our wives. That's important too. So we don't want to just kind of like read a text and just go well. There's not the Bible doesn't say anything else. It does say a lot of things about. But this text is interesting because you need to be you need in an understanding way showing them honor as their heirs of grace, the same grace have. It's the same grace they have. That you're all part of the kingdom of God. So this is the interesting way. I, I tell this to pre counseling couples all the time. Is you need to become a student of your wife. Okay? And this is really difficult for dudes. Okay? A student of your wife is actually taking the time to understand them. Their pains, their hopes, their dreams, <laughs> their emotions, their feelings. I know guys were walled off emotionally. It's very difficult sometimes to go to those deeper places. But but to really understand their personality, their gifts, their, their abilities. Because what I find is a lot of conflict in marriage really is over temperament or it's over gifts or it's over you know, how they were raised or how they do conflict or how they do uh, communication. But you need to be understanding the time to go, what makes you tick? Having those back and forth conversations. What do you like and not like? What worries you? What, what makes you anxious about the future? Actually, take the time to be a student of your wife. Now, believe me, I'm 23 years in with my wife. Uh, we've been together 23 years. I've been married 18 and a half years. I'm still with my wife. It could be changed over time, right? We're not the 2020s that got out of long ago. but we've grown, we, we've changed, right? So, we're constant sitting with the wife, I'm saying, "Hey, dating night. What's going on? What's making you anxious and worried? What, what's God teaching you these days? Where's your emotions at? Where's your for That's difficult, right, men? Amen. Can we just get a show of hands? I see your hand in the back there. I see you over there. Right? It's not easy. Right? And, and imagine, Andy, you've been married how many years? Forty-two. Bill? Forty-seven. That's a lot of years, right? It's easy to, to put the car in neutral and just kind of coast, isn't it? Right? After all those years. I mean, not for these men. They're godly men. They know what's up. But but the reality is, right, it's easy, easy. If you've been married two minutes or five minutes or ten minutes, it's so easy just to go, yeah, we got it figured out. We understand each other. But one of the you honor them as you understand them. And part of honoring is also understanding that she desires, you know, needs, sexually, emotionally, physically. right? But you also understand that in a very realistic way, as the weaker vessel. I know people get hung up on this. All he's saying is men and women are physically different. That's all he means. And we know that from science, right? Actually, you know bone density and muscle density in men are different than women? Men have more of it. They're just wired differently. So he's saying physically, he's not saying emotionally, he's not saying intellectually, he's not saying gifts, he's not saying in light of God, uh, as an image bearer of God, or, or how they serve in the church of the world, that somehow they're inferior, or anything like that, he's not saying that. He says, understand that they are actually a vessel, so you need to love them, and care for them, and provide for them, and protect them, because of those realities, doesn't mean you have to be macho man, you know machismo. Guy. That's not what it's saying. But understand how you're wired differently. That's why your wife does want to sit down and talk about her feelings, and you're just like, can Can I just watch Netflix? Can Can we do something else right now? Because I'm emotionally walled off. I'm dead inside. We We want to talk about this. Are we sure? Right. That's why when guys get home, you ever do this? You get home and your and you, and your wife goes, Hey, how was your day? Fine. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, that's fine, I don't know. Some stuff happened. There's some people, some mean people, I don't know. Right? And your wife's like, like going like B by B, like the whole narrative of the day, and then at 823 and then the kids were here. And then, right? Anybody? Nobody? Just my house? Okay, and I'm just like, you know, trying to stay awake and just trying to like, I love you. First Peter says I need to be understanding and, and you know, I gotta I gotta engage, I gotta be a student of your wife, right? We're just made differently. Watch boys and girls play in the playground. They're very different. My boys want to jump off the top rope and wrestle and throw elbows. And my sweet girl is just like, can we you know, have some tea and dress things up? All right? So by understanding them, taking the time to get to know them for the rest of our, our lives, we also, understanding that they are different than us and have different needs than us, but also we understand you can't um, since they are heirs with you have grace of the Lord, your so prayers are not hindered. We're part of the same family. The family. We're part of the same kingdom. Uh, it's all grace. It's all by faith. It's not, well, you know, a woman, this is how they get in the kingdom. Men, this is how, no, no, no. We celebrate that. That's the thing that ultimately unites us and brings us together. And that's why he says, your prayers are going to be hindered because if you're not living in these kinds of ways, this relationship that God has called you to and from his word and says, hey, 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 women, you need to learn how to submit lovingly, g- gladly, joyfully, and, and husbands, you need to understand them and honor them and understand that, that they're weaker. provide we Don't do that, guess what? Our prayers will be hindered because our relationship with God is hindered and fractured. And that's the thing that we share ultimately yeah. It doesn't mean always forever, right? I've used this illustration a million times, but when you have a disagreement marriage you don't deal with it, do you ever feel this just kind of like big wall in between you? It's like it's a wall. You can be lying like, hey, and the walls out. Cause you haven't dealt with it, right? No, it's just the elephant in the room and he just like pass her, and just like, everything's good, fine. Yep, everything's good. Just can't believe you said that to me. Yeah, I know I don't know how to do dishes. Yeah, that's right. I don't know the do dishes and I never load or my and yeah, I don't do the the darks just like I get it. Okay, Miss Perfect. And this is all going through my head. Only child, this is how I process the world. But it's that moment where I go, honey, you're right. I'm a loser at doing laundry. And I'm sorry that all the clothes are pink now. Uh, But when dad's on duty, stuff like this happens. Um, And until that reconciliation and repentance happens and confession happens, there's just this wall. And I think that's what Peter's alluding to is when we're not walking in God's design and God's ways. When we're pushing against each other, we're pushing ultimately against God. I'm not doing that. I'm not listening to him, or I'm not listening to her, and I'm not going to understand her and be a student of her, and I'm not going to treat her with honor and respect and love. I'm not going to lay my life down and serve her as Christ has laid his life down for the church. I'm not doing that, right? Our prayers are hindered because our relationship with God is fractured. And that's how we want these folks to live. I this was a difficult time when people were coming and they didn't always believe the same things. So how do we live in this as exiles? The beautiful ways we can in this little unit, this, this foundational unit of the universe, we know that, that things go bad when the family breaks down, when relationships break down in the home. We just know that statistically. You know, there's 90 to 95% of people that are incarcerated today that, that is, they come from a broken or divorced or abusive home. We know there, there's kids that that that, that act out and things that. That doesn't mean you're going to be a murderer, you're going to be in prison, by any means. But we know God has wired and designed this very big unit of how it functions in a way. When it goes off the rails, the whole world is off the rails. It just you know that, right? I, I come from a divorce my, my, my folks had divorced when I was a teenager. And one of the things I love when my parents used to tell me is, it doesn't affect you, right? Between me and your dad. Right. Really? <laughs> I don't know if you didn't really understand that. it's like, okay, that's like, parent with them? When you're and you're dealing with that pain, you go, oh, actually, it does affect me quite a bit. And how I look at marriage now and how I, you know, right? I understand family. Means, right, we know it affects everybody. When there's abuse in the home, there's neglect in the home. We know it affects everyone. It ripples out, and that's why Peter is saying, "If you want to live as exiles in our city, and you want to shine a big light on this Jesus, that it often begins in the home and how we submit and love and honor one another." So we we'll peek in. What do, they see? what do they see? So as we wrap up, we take. Why? How is God asking you to say? his Second question, are you inner beauty? I'm more worried about external beauty? I think about those things. There's just places where it's like, man, I just feel like this is really, God's asking me this, and that's really hard. But also, are we too enamored with the external beauty rather than the inner beauty? Are we cultivating you know, a a quiet and tranquil and and beautiful spirit within rather than worrying so much about how we look on the outside. And I'm getting from the text, by the way, so don't yell at me. Husbands, how are you honoring and understanding your wife? Are you taking the time to do that wherever you are on the spectrum? However many years you've been with your wife. What does it look like to get after her soul, her emotions, her heart? What, what does it look like to, to kind of be in that kind of space to understand more of who she is? That would honor her a lot. It would honor her a lot. Again, not to say thus saith the Lord for us. It always looks like a date night where we can just, I can just ask a lot of questions and just go, hey, hey, honey, can you tell me how I'm being a terrible husband and dad? I like to do better. Mission. It's that blunt. Hey, where am I falling short? How, how can I? Am I? How am I honoring you or not honoring you? How, you know what's going on? How are you feeling? What's right? And I just—it's painful. Believe me. There's just like one thing wrong with her, and there's like. You, you want to be married some someday. This text is for you. And, and if you're, you were married, and maybe there are no plans to ever be married again, this text is for you because there's going to be all kinds of people that are going to come to you, and you're going to have the opportunity to minister to them. So that's a little bit for everybody. Amen. 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 Every every week we have this beautiful privilege uh, to, to remember um, and, and remind. This simple meal of bread and, and cup, this this perfect husband who is faithful in every way. Uh, I love the energy of Christ being a husband, i kinda of weird for guys, but um, but the reality is that he, he was a faithful husband all the way. Even when we we're not wives, husbands, we fall short all the time. We're unfaithful all the time. We I mean, don't do the things that First Peter would have us do. But every week we have this reminder of a God who comes to us and who is faithful. He was so faithful that he was willing to lay his life down for us, even his enemies. He was willing to, to forgive us of all of our sins and to love us and, and to come to us. And that's what communion is about. It's the bread representing the broken body of Christ and the the bread representing the blood. That to our you don't have to come fixed up today. You just have to come by faith. Because all of us are going to come, and we're going to hear all, we heard all kinds of things in the sermon about, yeah, I'm just I'm a loser husband and wife, and I'm not submitting, I'm not doing all this stuff, but there's grace to be had, there's forgiveness to be had. He says, come, all who are burdened, all be laden, and I will give you rest for souls. And that's the invitation to come to the table. And if you have some sins you want to just lay before God, i encourage you to do that. Maybe there needs to be some reconciliation between spouses. Do that if you're able. But also I would say if you're not... Christ this morning. You're not trusting in Christ. We have some prayers in our city life. We'd encourage you to read those. If you to know this Christ, and if you have questions about that, please come talk to me. If you have questions about the sermon, talk to one of our elders. We'd love to, to, to chat more about that. So that. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, we break off of the bread. Dip in the cup. lines in the front. Um, also, we have some gluten-free bread in the middle. You can take that if you need that. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for marriage. It's a good gift from you, oh God. And it's not saying that we say, well, it's not that important, because it's important to you, oh God. And yet, in another sense, it's not an ultimate thing either. Um, one day in the new heavens and new earth, there, there won't be marriage anymore. But in the meantime, God, we know that marriage is built and wired to reflect Christ's relationship with the church. A God who comes and lays His life down for the good of others, and so God, I pray that You would encourage us as men to lay our lives down for our wives, and, and wives to to, uh, to our husbands, even when it's difficult, but not in a in a passive way, not, not in asking any questions, or the husband you know abusive or harmful or any of those ways, but also not in a religious way either. But in our ultimate joy in submission to ultimate authority. And we know this is all very, very difficult. So we need your grace, we need your love, we need the Spirit working in and through us. So help us, oh God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us.